Hello, and welcome to the Villains and Monsters podcast, where true crime meets thrilling fiction and dark minds come together to talk about all things sinister and psychotic. I'm Cassie Sharp, suspense and thriller author and your host. Hello, and welcome to episode eight of Villains and Monsters, the podcast, also known as Where the Shadow Lies, the audio cast. Today, we are going to hear chapters 15 through 18. Uh, It's four chapters today, which is double the usual two. I can math, guys. I can math. Anyway, um, as we're coming to the middle of the book, uh, the action ramps up. The chapters get shorter, and so you're going to get more. That's exciting. Okay, so today we're going to, one, learn about what happens after JL finds the finger, the severed finger that was in her box on her doorstep. What happens after? Um, hear what Xander thinks about this new danger in JL's life. You know, it's got to be affecting him, right? Because he's got a thing for her. Plus, he kind of feels responsible for her security. So, where's his head at? Uh, We will also hear a short, random, mysterious, first-person, present-tense chapter. But who is speaking? Number four, we're going to learn about another person in peril. Someone goes missing. But who? And why? Well, I guess you're just going to have to fucking listen to find out, aren't you? Okay, so all jokes aside, I'm in a goofy mood today. Um, So what I'm working on, I am writing a domestic thriller. Um, It was inspired by quarantine, but it's not, the plot is not based in this quarantine time or anything like that. Um, And I am... Uh, pantsing it or discovery writing it, whichever one you want to say. I've never done this before. I'm always a plot, 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 plotter. I have like notebooks and notebooks and notebooks. I mean, so many of them filled with um, character traits and um, character interviews and timelines and plot points and just so much shit goes into me plotting a book. And I was like, you know what? Let's just throw all that shit out and let's try pantsing it. And I am. And it's a little bit difficult because my brain is having to come up with things in a different way, but I'm still coming up with some pretty kick-ass ideas. And I'm enjoying it. I'm also pairing uh, pantsing or discovery writing with um, writing fast, shitty first draft. That's what I'm calling it. Um, I typically take forever to write a book because I um, try to put every sentence down the way I want it to be once it's polished. 
So it'll take me a freaking half hour to write two fucking sentences because I'm being a perfectionist and trying to make it perfect the first time through. But what I've learned that that's doing to me is one, it's taking my head out of the plot. So, um, so many people say to, uh, writers that, um, you have to tell yourself the story first before you can tell it to other people. So that first draft should be telling yourself the story. And I never bought into that shit. I was always like, no, you know, I don't want to go through a hundred thousand freaking revisions. I just want to put it down how it's going to be and have very minimal editing later. And while I do end up having the very uh, minimal editing and revising later, um, it makes the overall process so long. And because I also don't completely fully know the story yet, um, I'm having to think of plot and prose and character for each word that I was writing. And it just took forever. So I told myself this is going to be a shitty first draft. I am just going to tell myself the story. I'm not going to worry about prose. Um, I'm not going to worry about, you know, um, putting little breadcrumbs in and, and, um, you know, red herrings and any of that stuff. I'm not worried about any of that right now. I am just telling myself the basic story and then I'll go through on a second draft. And once I know what's going to happen, then I can shape that into a cooler experience for the reader while also polishing my prose. So, um, we'll see how it goes. I have this shit, uh, on pre-order on Amazon, um, which I only did. I'm not even going to put the link in the show notes. Like I, this is, I'm not trying to get sales, but I only did that for my own accountability so that I will get this book done and stop messing around and be a faster writer because that is my goal this year to be a faster writer. Okay. So we're going to get into chapters 15 through 18, but first let's do a quick recap of last episode. So last episode, you, uh, see Gran again and she sees something in JL that she has learned to see in many women. Um, Gran, of course, she, you know, she's a grandmother, she's older. Um, and she's been through some shit as many women have. And she recognizes the demons and other people, but she didn't see JL's demons right away. So when they had their first meeting, um, which was in a different episode, um, Gran kind of prodded her and, you know, she was, she thought maybe she was just stiff or, um, not relaxed, but she didn't see jail's demons right away. So, um, jail met with Gran and, um, Gran told her about the current, which is a very long, very country explanation for how Gran sees life. And it made JL think. Um, and then JL comes home to discover the box. And we figure out in the next chapter that it's a severed human finger. Eep. Okay. JL finds out Xander and Mathis used to work together. She didn't even know that Xander was an ex-cop. She found that shit out. Um, and Mathis, we find in the last episode that he's got a hard on for Jason. He is hardcore 
Jason's a fucked up kid. He did this shit. So um, Mathis's perception of the Tyndalls of JL and Jason uh, plays a big part in, in this book. And um, I think that you'll find that we all have a little bit of Mathis in us um, because we see people and we watch them and we make assumptions, but we don't ever really know. So anyway, uh, that was last episode. And here we go for the next four chapters. Chapter 15. The overgrown grass was cool where it caressed his bare ankles. The dew that had blanketed the ground clung to the browning blades, determined not to perish underneath the rising sun. The air smelled of fresh earth and wild clematis blossoms. Beneath the pale pink sky, Xander wandered the rolling pastures that stretched out as far as he could see until they kissed the languid sun in the distance. He'd been walking for over an hour and had not seen a trace of human habitation. J.L. had finally fallen asleep on her couch only a few hours ago. When her breathing evened out, he'd gone outside to check in with Seth. His employee hadn't seen anything suspicious all night. Frustrated and anxious, he'd told Seth to stay put a few more hours while he took a closer look around J.L.'s property and the surrounding area. Xander had dealt with more than his fair share of stalkers in both of his careers. One thing they seemed to have in common was the need to be near the subject of their obsession. J.L. lived in the country. There were a few houses on her street, but they were spread out with not many places to hide between them. J.L.'s property backed up to what seemed like hundreds, even thousands of acres of fields. Cows, sheep, and horses roamed the land that wasn't blocked off for crops. When he'd set off on this trek, he'd hoped to find some sign of the psycho. A tent, a camp, or even some cardboard boxes would go far in producing more evidence for Mathis to investigate. Xander had searched in the semicircular perimeter, but came up empty. He turned back to Jail's house. He could see it in the distance, but it was barely a speck. He couldn't imagine her stalker setting up residence any farther away. He sighed. Next, he would have to check the other homes in the area. People could get real ugly when it came to protecting their privacy, so that would be a risky venture. Though it seemed unlikely, Xander held out hope that J.L. had formed connections with her neighbors. He was halfway back to J.L.'s house when he saw a figure in the distance running toward him. In one seamless move, he removed his gun from the holster took off the safety, and had it pointed at the person who was swiftly approaching. Xander slowed his steps, carefully placing his feet around rock and bush. His breasts were even, his arms steady as they held his weapon in front of him. A few hundred yards out, he could tell it was a man. As clothing became more detailed with his approach, Xander lowered his arms and holstered his gun. Seth was out of breath when he stopped a few feet away. What are you doing here? Seth was bent over, wheezing and hacking. Sander frowned. His men had a duty to stay in shape. 
This kid looked like he'd been rode hard and put up wet after only a small jog. I tried to call you, Seth managed to spit out between coughs. He, glan he glanced behind Seth. Jail's house seemed quiet, but there was no reason for Seth to have left his post unless something had happened. Sanders' heart raced as annoyance sparked. What's going on? You left your assignment. I'm sorry. I tried to call you, but it went to voicemail. I didn't know what else to do. About what? Seth stood upright, holding his side as though he was in pain. I got a call from Mike. Xander had been avoiding his partner. The day Xander took JL's file, Mike called him out on it. He'd evaded Mike's questions as much as he could and hadn't been back to the office since he'd started following Jason. Mike was an over-observant bastard, though, so Xander hadn't held out ho much hope of successfully flying under the radar. And? Mike tried to call you, too, but couldn't get through. What did he want, Seth? Nothing should have taken you away from your post. I know, I'm sorry. Seth took two deep breaths. It's just that Mike's friend from the police department called him this morning and mentioned something we both know you'd want to hear. That was it. Xander was going to shoot him. If you don't spit it out in the next five seconds, I'm going to tie you to that tree and leave you there. Xander pointed to the old oak a few yards away. Seth's eyes rounded. Right. Well, the sound that interrupted Seth was shrill and piercing, and it came from the direction of JL's house. Xander broke into a full sprint. He heard another scream as he neared her back porch. He grabbed his gun, disengaging the safety. Xander slowed his progression, bending his knees into a crouch. He studied the sliding glass doors, the back porch, and the space beneath it. No sign of anything amiss. He heard Seth bound up behind him. What was that? Lower your voice, Sander whispered as he glanced back at his red-faced employee. Then get your fucking gun out. I left it in my car. Hot heat boiled in Sander's gut and it took some serious willpower not to hit the kid. Follow me and stay down. They rounded the side of the house in silence. When the street came into view, he motioned for Seth to go retrieve his weapon while he scanned the front yard. It was eerily quiet. The front door was closed, the rocking chairs and potted plants all motionless. His heart was a fierce drumbeat in his chest, but the movement of his limbs were as steady as stone. He stalked up the porch steps ignoring the groan of old wood. When he reached the door, he tried the handle, locked, just as he'd left it. He took out Jail's key and unlocked the door. The house was dimly lit, but Xander had learned its grooves and notches. He crouched as he examined the living and dining rooms. There was a hush over the house, and he began to wonder if he'd imagined it all. As he glanced under the dining room table, he heard a faint whimper. Seth was standing in the hallway, body to wall, looking freaked out. Xander motioned for him to stay where he was. He almost lost his composure when Seth answered with a thumbs up. No time for anger. He forced his body lower to the floor. As silently as possible, he crawled under the look-through. He paused, listened, no movement. Inches from the open door, he closed his eyes, held his breath, 
and then looked. JL stood on the counter in a crouch. Her eyes were wide with fear and trained on the corner of the room that was blind to him. On the floor beneath her, there was a pool of blood. He was transfixed by that dark puddle. He'd failed again. You don't want to do that, kid. Put it down. It's not too late. Sander? Her voice jolted him. He gripped the gun to steady it. In one deep inhale of breath, he thrust his body into the entrance, gun hand first, and pointed it at the corner of the room J.L. had been staring at. There was nothing. The kitchen table and chairs were all empty. You, you, have, to, you have to get it. J.L. held a trembling hand outstretched toward the table. Get what? It's there. Her voice shook, jump-starting his adrenaline. He glanced from the table to her and back again. I don't see anything. She shrieked. Xander flipped on the light switch. Still nothing. There's nothing on the table. It's under the table. Xander bent down and saw it. He sat back on his ass. That's what all the screaming was about? She nodded. It's an evil mutant thingy from hell. It's a spider cricket. Haven't you ever seen one before? She shook her head. Just kill it, please. He'd almost forgotten the pool. It sat there, menacing, taunting him. Why are you bleeding? She glanced down. Oh, I dropped a glass when that thing jumped out and tried to kill me. It shattered and I stepped on it. She pointed to the other side of the kitchen where there were shards of glass all over the floor. Glass he hadn't noticed. Shit. I'm fine. Please just get rid of it. Sander tried to pick it up to let it out the back door, but he was still shaken. His movements were clumsy as his nerves fizzled, and the damn insect kept jumping away from him. He chased it to the stove, but still wasn't able to catch it. Seth entered the shitstorm from the hallway. His eyes were wide as he took in the scene. What the heck is that thing? He stayed on the other side of the room, pointing his gun at the spider cricket. Jesus. It's a fucking bug, kid. Put your gun away. Seth complied. Just as he holstered his gun, the bug hopped right in front of him. He stomped on it. Oh, thank God, JL said, and Seth smiled with pride. Xander moved to her. Sit down, Angel. The cut was deep, and there was still a piece of glass stuck inside. This might hurt, JL nodded. She was a trooper through the process. She didn't flinch a single time, even when he had to dig deep into her wound with tweezers to remove all the glass. When he finished bandaging her up, he put one hand on each side of her, staring, his lips mere inches from hers. The fog of fear had not yet cleared from his heart. Please, he whispered. Don't ever scare me like that again. I thought he swallowed. I thought you were in danger and that I'd failed to protect you. I'm sorry, she shrugged. I don't like bugs. Xander shook his head. This girl was insane, but he dug it. Seth cleared his throat. I think I got all the glass up. Xander backed up as JL hopped off the counter. She turned to Seth and extended her hand. I'm JL. 
Nice to meet you, ma'am. Thank you for saving my life. Seth blushed. Xander rolled his eyes. Don't we have something to discuss? He said to Seth, his voice stern. Leaving jail in the kitchen, Xander motioned for Seth to follow him outside. He walked to the driveway, far enough so JL couldn't hear. Spill it. <sighs> Mike called me earlier because he couldn't reach you. I don't think you have the best service out there in the pastures. Seth pointed to the fields behind the house. Xander balled his fist. What did Mike say? Seth took a deep breath. Emily Marshall went missing last night. Chapter 16. Where? The first thing I notice is darkness. Not the darkness of closed eyelids. That would feel normal. It is the absolute absence of light. The terrifying chill of my eyes having no use. I have an urgent need to rub my eyes, to coax the petulance out of them. That's hopeless, though. My wrists meet resistance every time I try, which serves to do nothing more than intensify the itch. Fear is a peculiar thing. It affects your body in much the same way desire does. First, there's a jolt of adrenaline straight to your heart. A tremor builds in your abdomen, then overflows and leaks into your limbs. Your heart rate begins to sprint, competing with your breath in a stiff neck-and-neck -neck competition. Salivary glands dry and shrivel. You find it nearly impossible to swallow, and just when you think your throat will close, it hits you. That's where the similarities end. Fear is not a tingling in a place that is desperate for contact. Fear is a half-ton brick of dread dropped from a skyscraper. It slams into your chest, staggering every sense with its punch. As I lay stretched out, wrist and ankles bound, I am thankful for one thing. My fear is not as debilitating as it could be. There is no unknown to obsess over. I know how I got here and where the situation will likely take me. I know that the man who's taken me is capable of anything. And I know that I will be powerless to stop it. He doesn't keep me waiting long. Chapter 17 Something was wrong. JL felt it in her gut. She'd woken up this morning after only a few hours of sleep, heart racing and covered in sweat. As a mother, she learned to never ignore the nagging in the pit of her stomach that said, some shit is about to go down. Then there was that thing, JL shivered. She wasn't saying the evil insect from hell was an omen, but she took it as a clear indication of how the rest of the day would go. She pressed her body closer to the window and squinted her eyes. Getting old sucked. She could see Xander and Seth on the driveway talking, 
but couldn't attempt to read their lips from this far away. She had a clear view of Xander's face, though. His expression was enough to make her skin prickle. She closed the curtain. JL settled into the soft leather of her couch with a weighted sigh. Emotion sickness. That's what plagued her. She wasn't built to feel so many things. She'd spent years layering sheets upon sheets of ice on top of one another. Her wall had been impenetrable. Until now. Until some asshole with an ice pick decided to start chipping away at her safe haven. It was hard to defend the wall when her child was behind it with her. When his safety was the only thing that mattered. So, she'd had to let it crumble. And with that destruction came the flood of emotion that had pooled behind it for 20 years. Too much of it. So much, it was making her ill. She had to get it together. Above the current. She closed her eyes, trying to picture the scene Gran had described. It seemed so abstract. She could make out the three layers behind her eyelids, but every detail was blurry. The water was murky, and she'd never been a great swimmer. Jail. She opened her eyes. Xander sat on the couch across from her. Every muscle in his body looked taut. Something was definitely wrong. One. What? I'm booking a hotel room. You need to get away from here for a while. Two, three, four, five. Why? He rubbed his face. Because you ain't safe here. It's not forever, just until we can figure everything out. Why am I suddenly not safe in my own home? His eyes rounded as he sat forward in his seat. Did you forget about the body part you were sent yesterday? No, but you didn't book a hotel room after I received that package. So what's changed? <sighs> what's changed is the fact that you're surrounded by unknown factors. I walked the fields behind your house this morning. There are hundreds of places for someone to hide. Do you know any of your neighbors? Outwardly, she remains still. I don't, but what does that have to do with anything? Inside, every nerve ending squirmed. Ten. I ain't an officer anymore, JL. I can't just force myself into their houses to look for psychotic clues. Any one of them could have dropped that off on your doorstep. We need to get you away from here for a while. She heard the words, but his frantic eyes told her there was more. I've got you and Seth here to keep me safe. I don't want to go anywhere. He laughed. It was humorless, desperate. Seth, you've got to be shitting me. She couldn't help herself. He saved me from that spider cricket when you failed to do so. His movement was so quick, she hadn't even realized it happened. He knelt on the floor in front of her and grabbed her hands. One. This ain't a joke, Angel. Seth is just a kid who's not ready to do this job. I don't trust him to keep you safe. He's leaving right now and won't be back on duty until he gets the right training. You aren't safe here. Please. He squeezed her hands. Please let me do this. She pulled her hands out of his. Fine, but Jason comes too. Something passed behind his eyes. 
What? Have you talked to him today? She hadn't. Shit. Seven. Why? Isn't one of your guys with him? He ducked his head. No. Chris went to his house this morning and he was already gone for the day. He's been circling the school, gym, and practice field, but he hasn't found him yet. He should be at, pra at the practice field. It was game day. She took her phone out of her pocket and dialed Jason's number. Hey, Mom. He sounded off. Breathe, breathe, breathe. You ready for the game tonight? Silence. Jason? I'm not going to play tonight. No, no, this was not happening. Why? I don't really have time to talk about it right now. I'll call you back. The call ended. It wasn't in Jason to miss a game. He hadn't missed a single one since he'd started playing as a kid. A tremble started in her toes and worked its way up to her tongue. What's wrong? She looked up at Xander. She'd forgotten he was there. I'll go pack. She couldn't stop staring at it with eyes wide, mouth open. It was a heart. Was it even possible to sleep on something shaped that way? Uh, at least there was a matching jacuzzi right next to it. The door slammed closed with Xander's entrance. She jumped. They don't have any regular rooms. He threw his key card on the dresser. She glanced at the red monstrosity. Any chance of going somewhere else? No, this was my last resort. Every ho hotel in the city is booked. Fucking golf tournament. Well, what does your room look like? Is it phallic themed? That would likely be easier to sleep on. He cocked his head. This is our room. No. I asked for adjoining rooms, but they don't have any available tonight. We're just going to have to make the best of it, and I'll figure something else out tomorrow. His bossiness was beginning to piss her off. I'm not sleeping with you. I'm especially not sleeping with you on top of a fucking Valentine card. He grinned. Ugh. I requested for a rollaway to be sent up. You can have that thing all to yourself. He gestured to the bed. I'll take the roll away. I'm not contracting herpes in my sleep. He nodded. Whatever you want. I'm going to go take a shower. She waited until the water began to run before she took a seat on the edge of the jacuzzi and checked her phone. Again, she'd text Jason twice before they left. She was worried he would come to her house to talk and she wouldn't be there for him. Not wanting to explain the reasons why she was staying at a hotel over a message, she'd asked him to call her. No response. She began typing another plea to her son, but erased it and shut off the screen. There was a line here that she was struggling with. In truth, she'd been grappling with it since the day he'd become an adult. It was ridiculous, really. A child has a birthday. This birthday feels no different for the parent than all the ones before it. The themed birthdays, Barney, Spider-Man, Power Rangers. The first sleepover party, the bowling alley birthday, the movie theater birthday, the trip to Nashville for his first NFL game birthday. They'd all happened and their memories were still fresh. But then comes that birthday. 
the one that signifies adulthood. And all of a sudden, this child who has always been a child expects independence, respect, equality. JL couldn't scold her son for not answering his phone, could no longer take away privileges because he wasn't acting the way she expected him to. She loved him today in just the same way she loved him the day he'd been born, needed to protect him with the same fierceness that had prompted her obsession with Jason wearing safety gear when he rode his bike for the first time and every time after. But ever since the day he turned 18, JL had tried to tame the smother mother instinct. She distanced herself from him as much as she possibly could stand. She still told him she loved him every day, though. That was not a habit she could kick. She checked her phone again. Nothing. You okay? Sander asked. His hair was dripping onto his shirt, and she could smell the soap on his flushed skin. I'm worried about Jason. He perched himself on the side of the jacuzzi next to her. Well, that's completely understandable. What if... She swallowed. What if whoever is messing with me decides to go after him? I'm not going to lie to you, JL. It's a possibility, but you can't stress yourself sick over it. Can't. Did he even know what the hell he was saying? How can I not? He sighed. Jason is smart. He has good instincts and he's strong as hell. You can't force him to stay with you until this goes away. So you're just going to have to trust him to take care of himself. Trust her child to take care of himself? JL shook her head. I don't. How do I do that? Faith. Faith? Yes. You have to have faith in him. In yourself. In the universe. He swirled his hand through the air. Easier said. You don't ask for much, do you? She sighed, rubbing her hands on her jeans. He's probably at work. He nudged her shoulder. Hey, you're a fantastic mom, you know that? She waved it off, and he cleared his throat. <clears throat> I never knew my own mother. Did she pass away? Nope. She left when I was a few weeks old, dropped me off at Grand's, and nobody's seen her since. What about your dad? Dad was in the army. He was about to be deployed overseas when they found out she was pregnant with me. They married before he left, and she lived alone while she was pregnant. After she had me, I guess she just couldn't handle it all. She wrote Dad a letter, ending it between them, took me to Grand's, and left town. Grand said, she wasn't fit to be a mom, that it was for the best in the end. Jesus. JL had a hard time finding any empathy for women who did not care for their children. How did your dad take it when he came home? He never discussed it, and I was too young to remember, but I don't think he ever quite recovered from the loss of her. We lived with Bran until I was 14, and even when we moved, it was only a few miles away. He dated a few women when I was older, but nothing serious ever happened. So, Gran is basically your mom. He smiled. Yeah, and a damn good one, too. How did she handle it when you joined the police force? He clasped his hands in front of him. 
She had her fair share of worries, I'm sure, but she was proud of me, always encouraged me to succeed in whatever it was that made me happy. JL smiled. That sounded like Gran. Sander turned his body toward her, their knees almost touching. What about your parents? Oh, they were nothing like Gran. <laughs> what do you mean? She took a deep breath. You know what my father did for a living. He nodded. I'm sure that was hard for you growing up. <laughs> Our whole life revolved around appearances. She scrunched her nose, remembering the falsities. They dragged you to all the formal functions. She nodded. That's not where the image ended, though. Practically every aspect of my life was scrutinized by some adult in my life. Mm, mostly my mom. How so? His voice was the audible equivalent of comfort food. I was never afforded a personality. I mean, she never outright said it wasn't allowed, but anytime I acted in any way that didn't suit the family image, she shut it down. You can't do that, she'd say. Your father's career depends on it. I never made any friends either. I tried for a while, but she wouldn't allow anyone in my life, anyone in my life that hadn't been properly vetted. You can't hang out with her. She's trash. Or you can't be seen in public with them. Your father will lose voters. How can anyone expect him to run his office if he can't even run his own daughter's life? JL blew out a breath and shrugged. So I just learned to blend into the background to be the most unnoticeable person in every room. That was too much truth. She looked down, studying the grout between the tiles of the jacuzzi. Your father the same way? He asked. Every instinct in her body told her to shut it down, to end the conversation before too much was said. Her mouth opened before her mind caught up. Not openly, no. He loved me in his way, but mom ran the household and he let her. It felt unnatural to talk about these things. She hadn't thought about them in years. Xander shifted closer. His natural scent mixed with fresh soap dizzied her. That why you ran? He asked. Tile inspection forgotten, she snapped her head up. Her eyebrows raised in question. What the hell do you know about it? You left when you were 18, right? You moved multiple states away and changed your name. She barked out a dark laugh. I didn't run. I walked. Calmly and in the open. They let me go. He let me go. Enough. No more fucking talking. He being Jason's father. What? He doesn't know. He can't know. No. You said he let you go. Assumed you were talking about an ex-boyfriend. She was too afraid to move, to breathe. No. The silence that followed was strained. It was apparent Xander was still curious about Jason's parentage. JL was not going there. Not tonight. Not yet. Ever. Not ever. If she concentrated all her forces in holding up that particular trunk of the wall, the ice would keep the tainted darkness at bay a little longer. Xander's phone rang. I have to take this. I'll be right outside that door, okay? She nodded. He had his own secrets to tend to.
The rollaway arrived a few minutes later. JL unfolded it and added the sheets, blankets, and pillows that had been stored on top. It all smelled clean enough. She flopped down, surprised to find it soft. Arranging all the covers around her, she closed her eyes, willing her body to relax. JL heard heavy footsteps batter the floor. How much time had passed? Whooshing and clicking filled the room. She opened one eye, darkness, closed curtains. Two eyes, Xander rustling through a large duffel bag. When he started pulling items out, setting them on the table by the windows, she sat straight up. One. She slung the covers off. In two strides, she was at his side, her hands shaking. What the hell is going on? He answered with a half glance before he continued his silent, jerky movements. Xander? Yeah. His voice was strained, clipped, wrong. What happened? He set another gun on the table along with a box of ammunition. Then he pulled out a chair for her. Sit down a minute, all right? She complied, transfixed by the armory on the table. Why are you gearing up for war? Why did you close the curtains? He stared at her with intent, as though he was making some decision in his mind. I got a call from a friend in the police department. And? Her voice shook. Five. He rubbed his face while taking a deep breath. They ran a DNA test on the finger. They got a match. Who does it belong to? Eight, nine, ten. A young woman, Lila Ridley. She went missing about three months ago in Louisville. They were only able to make the match because her body was discovered yesterday. Her heart plummeted. Her her body? She's dead? He nodded. Yeah, her body was just dumped in the last two days. The finger was a match further along in decomposition, which likely means it was cut off of her long before she died. I didn't get all the gruesome details, but it's pretty evident this girl was tortured. Tortured. No, no, no. What, what does this mean? He grabbed one of the handguns, pulled back the slide, and looked inside its crevices. Seemingly satisfied, the slide clicked back into place and he loaded the magazine into its grip. It means that the sick fuck who mutilated that girl is interested in you for unknown reasons. It means that a killer knows where you live. It means that until he's found, you're not going to be unprotected. She couldn't process any of that yet. She had but one focus. Do you think Jason's in danger? Xander studied the window. I don't know. I have three of my guys looking for him. We'll find him and we'll protect him. What else? She asked, trying to shake off the tremor that was breaking every muscle. What? Don't fucking treat me like a child, Xander. You're keeping something from me. I know it. So what is it? He loaded the last magazine into the last empty gun. When it clicked into place, it echoed like the sound of a cell door closing in finality. He set the gun down and reached his hand out. It grazed her trembling one. Jason's friend that I told you about, Emily Marshall, he squeezed her hand. (sighs) She's gone missing. She jerked her hand back. Her legs seemed to float as she made her way to the bed on wheels. She climbed in and covered her entire body. 
Under the quilt of lies, she wept. As fear leaked out of her eyes, she saw them come for her. The inky, muscled hands. She closed her eyes and let them take her below the current once again. Chapter 18 Xander's footsteps echoed in the still hallway. There was an urge thumping in his chest. Run. He'd like to think it was the box of bad memories he carried inside him. The box that had been sealed for more than four years. That's how long it had been since he'd last walked the sterile halls of Norton Hospital. But it wasn't that. It was the burning ball of anxiety that begun to bounce around his veins since he'd left the hotel this morning. Since he'd taken the phone call that had forced him to leave jail... Mike was with her, and although Xander trusted his partner more than he trusted anyone, it felt wrong not to be there to protect her. He stopped in front of the elevator. The round button with an arrow pointing upward was already illuminated. Xander glanced around, but there wasn't another soul in sight. The doors opened, revealing a deserted elevator. Once inside, he hit the button for the fourth floor. The silence enveloping him was familiar. It had been silent last night in the room with J.L. She'd completely shut down after he told her about the dead girl and Emily. Not that he blamed her. It was bad enough some sicko was terrorizing her. To find out that person is likely a psychopathic killer, that fear would understandably be immobilizing. But it had gutted him to witness J.L. retreat inside herself. He wanted to go to her, to crawl in that tiny bed and hold her until she stopped shivering. He had wanted to soothe her, to rub salve on the old wounds he could see were beginning to rip apart at the scars. For the life of him, though, he hadn't been able to take one step toward her. A small part of him had been afraid of rejection, but... That's not what had kept him rooted in his seat. He hadn't wanted to violate her. J.L. was a strong woman. She'd raised her son on her own for 19 years. She'd persevered through God knows what, and she was still standing. But she was guarded, careful, cautious. As much as he wanted to, as much as he ached to be closer to her, he would not cross a line she wasn't ready for. There was a beautifully complicated labyrinth of chaos beyond the door to her soul. He wanted nothing more than to traverse its twists and turns, but she would have to be the one to open the door and invite him in. If she never did, well, then he would have to settle for being the armed guard who stood sentry at the entrance. When the elevator stopped, Sander braced himself for what he was about to walk into. His friend hadn't gone into great detail over the phone. When the doors slid open, Xander caught sight of them down the hallway. Detective Tyler Mathis and his wife, Natasha, appeared to be in the midst of a heated discussion. Xander stepped out of the elevator, taking unhurried strides toward the couple. Mathis saw him, said a few words under his breath to his wife, and moved to meet him. Thank you for coming, man. Tyler held out his hand. 
Xander took it and brought his haggard-looking friend in for a quick pat on the back. Of course. How is he? Mathis's shoulders were tense, his face a reflection of worry and anger. He made it out of surgery, and the doctors think, so, think he'll recover just fine. No lasting damage. But he's been out cold all night. Shit, man. I can't believe this happened. Mathis nodded. His brows furrowed as he glanced back to his wife. Nobody's been able to talk to him yet about what happened. Some uniforms were here last night, but I sent them away. I want to be the one to talk to him, and I want you with me. Why? I'm not his biological father, but I've helped raise him for 15 years. If anyone can get truth out of him, it's me. I need you here to be objective. I love that kid. He's my son, despite the fact that I'm not the name on his birth certificate. If I get too emotional and miss something, I need you to get it back on track. Of course, why, why don't you think he'd be honest with anyone else? Mathis sighed. I love him, but he can be a little asshole sometimes. Always been that way. I have no idea what happened to put him in that alley and then here, but it may be something he's hesitant to admit to. Xander nodded. Whatever you need. Xander followed Mathis to his son's room. Natasha was standing in front of the door, arms crossed and a lethal glare etched on her face. In the years since he'd known Mathis, he'd seen Natasha more than a handful of times. This was the first he'd ever witnessed her fiery red hair out of place. She looked stressed, but then, what mother in her situation wouldn't be on edge? Hey, Natasha. She flicked her lashing glare to him. Xander, I suppose you're here to help this asshole, she pointed to Mathis, kill my child. He looked to his friend for help, but Mathis was too busy glaring at his wife to notice. I'm just here to help in whatever way I can. Her flaming brows raised. Oh yeah? Well, stressing him out by forcing him to relive his attack right when he gets out of surgery is not freaking helping anybody. He could understand her position. He also knew Tyler was thinking like a cop right now, which meant he wanted his son to retell the story while it was fresh in his memory, as painful as it may be. Natasha, Mathis said with barely contained fury, this is happening. The doctor said he's going to be fine. His tone was softer when he said, I know you're worried, baby. I am too, but I'm also going to do everything in my power to nail the guy who did this to him. Natasha shoved a finger in her husband's chest. You fuck up and make him worse, it's over. Her heels pounded against the tile as she stomped away, not giving a backward glance. Mathis turned to him. She doesn't get it. Sander placed a hand on Tyler's shoulder. She does. That's her boy in there. Mathis nodded. Let's go see if he's awake. Tyler's son was hooked up to multiple machines, each with its own distinct beep or hiss. Xander took a long look at the sleeping kid. He couldn't remember his exact age, but he looked to be about 20 or so. So young to have been through such a trauma. Xander took a seat on the chair in the corner of the room. 
His fingers itched to check his phone for any message from JL or Mike. He ignored the urge. He was here for his friend, and he needed to stay in the moment. Jake? Mathis stood next to the bed and laid a shaky hand on Jake's arm. Jake stirred. He opened his eyes, blinking in rapid succession, taking in his surroundings. Mathis leaned in closer to his son. Hey, buddy. Dad? The kid's voice was weak and raspy. Sander shrunk back into his seat, studying his hands. Yeah, it's me, bud. You're in the hospital. You just had surgery yesterday, so don't move too much, okay? Don't want to bust those stitches. Jake nodded. I want to I wanna sit up. His voice was a bit louder, but hoarse. Mathis raised the bed slightly. That's as far as I want you to go without a nurse present. He pulled a chair up to the bed and sat. How do you feel? Jake coughed. Thirsty. I'll get a nurse in a few minutes. I don't know if you can drink anything yet. Do you know why you're here? Yeah, Jake said, suddenly interested in the ceiling. You want to tell me what happened, son? Jake's gaze came to Xander. Who's he? That's my friend, Xander. You've heard me talk about him before. Hey, Jake, Xander said. Hey, the kid looked to his dad. It's a little fuzzy. That's okay. Just tell me what you do recall. Jake closed his eyes. I was just leaving a club downtown. We were on our way back to my car when the guy came out of nowhere. We'd taken a shortcut through an alley when he slammed into me from the side. I wasn't expecting it, so I hadn't gotten my breath back before he stabbed me the first time. Xander watched Mathis grip the arms of his chair. I tried to fight him off, but he was strong fucking strong as hell. He shoved me back into the wall and stabbed me two more times. Jake's voice was strained. His eyes squeezed shut. I couldn't breathe through the pain. I slumped down to the ground. I, I thought I was going to die. The tension rolling off Mathis was a strong presence in the room. Did you get a look at him? Jake shook his head. Uh, it was dark and the, the guy had a hood on. Mathis scooted to the edge of his seat. Can you remember anything about him? Anything at all? Tattoos, facial hair, skin color? No, Dad, I'm sorry. It, it all happened so fast. Mathis touched his son's arm. It's okay. Did he say anything? Not that I can remember. Did he take your wallet? Jake squinted his eyes. I don't think so. Can you think of anyone that would do this to you? Anyone that has a grudge against you? Mathis asked. Jake shrugged. I don't know. There's the usual assholes, the ones at school who are jealous and shit, but that's nothing new. I need you to write down all their names for me, okay? Did you get into an argument with anyone at the club? Jake shook his head. No, I wasn't there long. Mathis glanced back at Xander. Am I missing anything? Xander cleared his throat as he stood. <clears throat> Jake? The kid craned his neck, meeting Xander's stare. Yeah? Who are you with? What? You said we were on our way back to my car. Who was there with you? Mathis looked back and forth between them, his legs shaking. 
Xander watched as doubt and confusion passed through the kid's eyes. Then, finally, recognition. Oh, oh yeah, it was, uh, it was my friend. She w- He stopped short, his eyes closing as if in pain. When he opened them, they held absolute terror. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Oh, fucking shit, he whispered. Mathis hopped out of his chair. What? Jake rubbed his face, a slight shake in his hands. He took her. I was lying there on the ground, bleeding and in and out of consciousness, but I remember. I remember him grabbing her. His voice was broken when he said, I remember her scream as he dragged her away. Dread coursed through Xander's veins. He knew somehow, but He had to ask anyway. Who? My friend, Emily. Emily Marshall. Xander glanced at Mathis before he voiced his next question. Do you know anyone that would want to harm her? Mathis was still turned toward Xander, so he didn't see it. Right before Jake opened his mouth to answer, a small smile grazed his cracked lips. Xander's stomach churned. Yeah, yeah, Emily was scared of him. He followed her around for weeks like a lost fucking puppy. He hit on her and wouldn't stop when she told him she wasn't interested. And it freaked her out. That's why she was at, she was with me that night. She had a bad feeling about him and asked me to accompany her to the club. Mathis grabbed Jake's arm. Who, Jake? Who is it? That freak. You know him, Dad. Jason. Jason Tyndall. Xander's eyes widened. Shit. Mathis sneaked a glare Xander's way before turning back to Jake. Are you sure? Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm sure. He threatened me in the locker room a few weeks ago when I told him to leave her alone. He's hated me for years, Dad. You know that. He wanted Emily and he couldn't stand that she was interested in me. Did you get a look at the weapon? Sander asked, his fists clenched so hard, his fingernails cut into his palms. He felt sick. Yeah, I think so. It was a, a small knife. Jack, Jake paused, thinking. The handle was black. It had little silver things on the side. Kind of like, he snapped his fingers until the word came to him. Like a switchblade. The chair broke Sanders' backward fall. Oh, shit, y'all. Things are about to go down. Emily is missing. JL is in hiding at a shit hotel. Jacob fucking Denton is in the hospital. Jason is MIA. And that finger belongs to a dead girl. And who the fuck was that in first person chapter tied up? Well, I guess you'll have to tune in later this week to find out, y'all. If you have any questions or comments or concerns, you can email me at villainsandmonsters at gmail.com and I will respond. Um, quickly, 
Uh, I'm going to put a link in the show notes for some free thriller books. Um, You can get these books through May 15th and um, you just click the link and you'll see the list of books in the bundle and they're all free. Um, And Where the Shadow Lies is actually in there. So there you go. Um, don't forget to subscribe so that when I put these random ass episodes out on random ass days of the week, it'll be right there, uh, in your podcast when you go in there. And if you have time, give it a little rating. I think that helps. I don't know shit about podcast algorithms. I didn't do much research when I started this. It was pretty much on a fucking whim. Um, but I'm sure the ratings help. So, (laughs) If you are still with me, you are obviously somewhat enjoying this shit or um, you just need somebody to laugh at for being such a dumbass. Uh, Either way, rate that shit. So you guys have a great week. Uh, Next episode is going to be the next few chapters and we will find out all the answers to our questions. Bye.